Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 165. This episode is from our three-part special from that conference in Wisconsin Dells. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Now we're talking to Keith Casey again, and he is the API problem solver at Okta <laughs> and chief troublemaker in life. Again. <laughs> what, wow. What, I, is, I feel welcome on yeah, this. Yeah, what's going on, Carl? Wow. No, no, I, I think it's just a... Uh, uh, preview of things to come in this discussion. He, he ah, did scare the okay. crap out of us last time. So. Yeah, that was, that was fun, though. That was my I'm last really... day on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. That's yeah, good thing. so so what's been what's been going on? Oh, geez. Uh, since last year? Uh, let's see. <laughs> no, that was two years ago. Was oh, it two actually, years ago already? Oh, so I wasn't even, I wasn't here last year, so that would have been Carl talking to you. Okay, so, so let's I got, see. So I got one year, a one-year break. Uh, left a company, joined a company, joined a company called Okta. Uh, okay. We do identity management in the cloud and like single sign-on. And my okay. product is OAuth as a service. Uh, we had a son in there, me and my wife, not me and Okta. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see. That would be awkward. Half Keith, half Okta, yeah. Yeah, that would, that, yeah. That would be kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and just generally running amok and generally getting paid for it. It's kind of a good combination. Okay. Okay. So you're giving a talk later on this week, your API sucks. It's it's actually only 12 reasons oh, why your API 12. sucks. So for some reason, I have a feeling you have more than 12, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of, like, which 12 do I use yeah. in most scenarios. Um, so I, I tend to focus heavily on documentation because mm-hmm. that's, that's an easy one. But from there, I get creative. All right. So uh, can you preview uh, your talk uh for us here uh, a even, bit. even though it's already happened. Yeah, even though it's, even already, it's happened. already happened. Due to the magic well, of podcast. Well, you're assuming I've written it. I mean, I've got like almost 48 hours so I have to give it. So that's <laughs> very, no, um, very true. Yeah, so I focus on documentation. Uh, one, like, are your docs complete? Are they accurate? Uh, code samples. Are code samples complete? Are they copy, paste, tweak, and execute? Like where you only have to really pre- replace credentials. Um, then I get into things like, um, how's logging work? Mm-hmm. Like when, you, when, when I'm running into an error with your API, how do I debug it? Like, do I just have to, like, kind of hope for the best? Or is there actually, like, a debugging log I can step through? Uh, but probably the number 12 reason, and the one I think is by far the most important, is do you have a business model? Because there's a lot of APIs out there that launch, they use things, they do things, and it's a cool API. It's really useful, but nobody's paying for it. Oh. And, and there's no pricing. Yeah. And therefore, when I start depending upon your API that you're not charging for, eventually I'm going to become dependent upon it and it's going to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically guaranteed to disappear. And there's a lot of API companies that are out there that launch that never really figured out a pricing model. And uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot long term. Well, yeah, because then they have ongoing costs. So there's a there's a big company that I work with and they have um, they have multiple products. And it's kind of interesting because talking to the one team. Um, you know, it's talking about their API and they're like, yeah, we want to, we want to have an API and we're going to charge for it. Cause in their, with their business, the data is the thing that's valuable. Yeah. So basically their API, they can, they can sell access to it because that's, that's access to the data. Yeah. And then I go to the, uh, a different division in the same, the exact same company. It's like, Hey, you should open up your API and charge for it. And they're like over my dead body. Like yes. nobody's ever getting access to this. Like you have to use our, our software, you know, cause they're, they're in their case, like the data is not the valuable thing. Mm-hmm. It's all the other stuff. So, um, it's just a totally, holy cow. Like the walls are coming down here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in there, you know, it's, it's interesting seeing like on different business models an API yes. makes sense or it doesn't make sense. Well, and I, and I tell companies that I, that I advise or I work with or whatever is that there's data that you have and you have better organized than anybody else that yeah. could be valuable. And then there's features and functionalities that you do mm-hmm. that other people can't do, or they can't do it at the sort of price scale that you're doing. So yeah. I always go to like uh, major league baseball, major league has baseball has an API for their data. That's incredibly valuable data. That's what a hundred years worth of data now. That yeah. you know, what? you're not going to organize yourself. You're not going to collect it and all that. So that's incredibly valuable. And then you go to on the flip side of service like Twilio, 
disclosure, yep. I'm, I used to work there. Um, being able to send text message, make a phone call that actually that's really useful. And building that infrastructure yourself is a pain in the butt. Yeah. So paying one cent a message or whatever is actually the better approach. Yep. It's worth it for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I, I noticed on your badge there, you, you got something underneath your name. It says Troublemaker. Troublemaker. Oh, yeah. I wonder who put that there. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you said you've been up to some shenanigans. Uh, I, I don't know if I use the word shenanigans. That, that might that's get my me word. Trouble. Okay. My oh, word. let okay. me turn off the recorder. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Well, now the that the recording's off, off yeah. let me actually talk about what I've been doing lately. <laughs> um, actually, um, so... Last time I was here, yep. two years ago, I guess, I uh, freaked everybody out. We were talking about like how to share data, uh, well, how to, the inappropriate amount of data that people are sharing and right. how with a little bit of diligence and, and forethought, you can connect those data, yeah. those data points. And so one of the scenarios I always run through is um, when a company, when a startup is launched and they say, oh, we're a stealth startup, mm -hmm. it's trying to uncloak what they're doing which is actually really easy because the vast majority of people don't take a job totally unrelated to their previous job. Right. Yeah. Most people get a, their next job based on what they did their previous job. Yeah. It might be a level up, it might be a step forward, but it's basically the same. So when Apple, Apple starts hiring people that used to be like autonomous car engineers, you, you, we can make, you an, make an educated an guess. <laughs> we can make a very educated guess on, hey, what are they doing? They're I probably retraining all of them. Yeah, yeah they're retraining them. <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how it works. Yeah. Elevator repairs. Yeah, yeah iTunes exactly. musicians, yeah. obviously. Internal legal. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's like that side of things. So that's what I was here two years to talk about. Um, yeah. In the last couple of years, I've been working more in terms of what, what's called affinity groups. Mm -hmm. So an affinity group is a group of people that all have some common interests and some common bond. The fact that we're all here at this con or that conference, sorry, not this conference. <laughs> this, that conference. Yeah, exactly. The fact that we're all here at that conference means that we all have an affinity towards technology. Yep. Mm -hmm. Odds are we all have an affinity, or most of us have an affinity towards web development. We have an affinity towards, not myself, but other people, Visual Studio. Like you can say, because there's this one common thread, there's a bunch of adjacent ones yep. that are highly likely. Um, so I started applying this in nefarious ways. Recording still off, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and to be, to be Totally serious here. Let's set, let's set aside jokes. Um, there was a child pornography ring that was busted in um, New Jersey about a year and a half ago. Um, and they published the 18 people's names. And so me being the guy I am, I was like, well, let's find their social media profiles. Mm -hmm. Let's see where like where they interact online. And I found meetup groups that they're um, of 18 of them. 13 were all members of these six meetup groups. Mm. I was like, okay, based on affinity theory, mm -hmm. right. if there's... These 13 people who all have these, yeah. uh, I think it was six groups in common. Yeah. That's vaguely probably, suspicious. Probably not like enough to hold up in court, but no, it's you know, not enough to hold up. No, no, no. It's not a sign of yeah. any guilt. Yeah, but it, it makes it, you go. And it is the definition of guilt by association. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I started looking at uh, who, what other people were common among all those groups. Yeah. Because if you're a member of six different meetups yep. and your buddy's a member of five of those meetups and somebody else is a member of six of those meetups, odds are you have a lot of things in common. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I started digging on that and I found a list of four additional people that were members of all the same groups oh my God. and actually interacted with some of those people in public channels. And that was the kind of thing that I'm like, well, this deserves a little bit more attention. Yeah. It's not a sign of guilt. Yeah. It's absolutely not. Yeah. It's never going to hold up in court. But it's the kind of thing where well, wait a minute, there was just a break-in at that house and that guy was carrying a TV down the street. Yeah. Let's stop and find out what's going on. Right. So um, I, I used to work in uh, law enforcement circles, so I contacted some people I knew and said, hey, look, there's these four people here, the threads they have in common. You might want to go check them out. Yeah. And so that's, a, that's you know, using my powers yeah. for good. That, that's the one time I did that. The one time? So, oh, did I say that all? We're not recording, so I'm no. fine. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of thing I, I look at because there are nasty, disgusting, evil people in this world, and you know, if we can, if we can sweep a couple of them up and make sure that they're not spreading that, that's even better. Yeah. Did you? I mean, did you ever hear if anything happened then? Or? Uh, if there was, I would never hear about it oh, until okay. an actual like uh, indictment or prosecution or something happens. So. I gotcha. Okay. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. And I, I know some people are really nervous about like what, like a minority report kind of thing of what happens when we yeah. convict things. And that's a totally valid concern. But yeah. at the same time, I think there's some trade-offs that. Happen. Well, and then you were like looking into those groups, right? So now some machine learning algorithm starts 
starts looking at, okay, who all, what kind of probability scores can we assign to people? And now all of a sudden you're in that group. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not a member of any of those groups. Yeah. So, um, and I didn't hang out with any of those people yeah. or interact with any of them. But yeah. it's the kind of thing that these are the, these are the kind of things we need to at least be aware of that are out there. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's funny cause you, you say like you're a troublemaker and like, that's like the one good thing you did, but, um, you know, just in general, just the education of, on uh, all these topics is obviously insanely valuable and the, oh, and the information about Facebook and, and, uh, how people are just giving away all this, all this information. Yeah. And, and I, I've, I've got kids that are, um, underage, so I won't give any more details cause yeah. you know, privacy. Um, but the idea is that if I can educate people of, Hey, look, here's what you're putting out there. Here's how this could be potentially used against you. Um, I, I'm focused on like teaching my kids. Hey, look, when you say this, when you put this out there, it doesn't just disappear. Yeah. This could live on in, 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 in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So just be aware. And you know, odds are your teachers could see it. Your friends could see it. Like just, just be aware it's out there. Well, that, that, I mean, I don't want to get too far down this tangent, but I guess like, what, what should I be telling my kids then? Like, so really the question is like, what are you telling your kids? Because, you know, I hear people talking about like internet safety all the time, but I think they have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, you actually know what you're talking about. So I want to hear what you say. <laughs> um, so in terms of like geography, I say, uh, never say anything more specific than South Austin. Okay. You know, so that I, covers yeah. a couple hundred thousand people, a bunch yep. of neighborhoods. So I tell my uh, kids that. Yeah. Never post pictures of our street, our house, the car. Yeah. Um, people post pictures of the car and forget about things like license plates and yeah. backgrounds. And with uh, Google Street View, you can actually do a lot of like hunting and figuring out, okay, this is where it is. Um, yeah. There's a thing, the Shia LaBeouf had the thing where he had the flag oh, of people about yeah. the You got, you got and, to talk about this because I don't think we talked. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. So, so, okay. So walk us through this one because I thought okay. this was fast. So Shia LaBeouf after the, um, after the election, mm-hmm. by some definitions, completely lost his mind mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to be generous. Uh, so he had a flag that said, he will not divide us talking about Trump. Yeah. And so he decided to do this performance art thing where he stuck it on the top of a flag flagpole yeah. with a webcam pointing at the camera, at, at the flag yeah. and just said, this is going to be up until uh, Trump leaves office. Okay. That's interesting. Well, the, the interesting thing about that is <laughs> that, um, I just got handed another troublemaker badge, <laughs> so now I've got two. He's over, over. It's so. in a different color, though. Yeah, it's it's a in a different color, different font. Um, so he put this flag up and has had the webcam point and said, "This will yeah. be up for the duration of the Trump presidency." Well, and then some people on uh, 4chan and all that sort of stuff start watching it, saying, "Where is this thing?" Yeah. And at one point, they managed to see planes flying overhead. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, wait a minute. We know what time it is because um, it was a webcam point at the sky." So they're like, "We know roughly what the uh, the longitude is." Yeah. Because it's getting light at this time, getting dark at this time. Because the angle of the planes, they're able to pull up uh, flight records yep. and find out it's roughly in this yeah. region. So they had it locked onto a handful of square miles. Then they dug through Shia LaBeouf's uh, Twitter profile and they found that he tweeted at being at this restaurant nearby, like about the time that it went up. So they're like, okay, it's probably in this particular yeah. region. Then they had guys go out in the field. Uh, like driving around these country roads, honking their horn. Yeah, to see if they could hear. And it. once they heard it through the webcam, they're like, "There it is." Mm-hmm. So then they zoomed in with Google Maps, and they found that the farm that they thought it was on, they saw a flagpole sitting there. Yeah. On a Google Maps view, that must have been a couple years old. Yep. And then somebody went out and stole it. <laughs> and it's the thing weird. is, it took like eighteen hours. Yeah. This was not like a like a. This was like. CSI level kind of thing where yeah. they're like, hey, we have these two clues. Let's figure this out. And then he did it again in this uh, cabin in Norway or Sweden or something where he just had it hanging on the wall. And so because the running gag was like, oh, well, he needs to put in a room where there's no background. There's no windows. There's yeah. no light. And so he put it in this no cabin yeah. where you could see like the wall behind it. You could see the furniture. But was, the webcam was just pointed there. Well, then they dug again and they found, well, he was tweeting about being in this particular town. And then they found it was a it was a travel town, like a tourist town. Yeah. So they had all these cabins. Of course, there are pictures of the cabins. So they, they had people going through all these pictures of cabins till they found one that the wood grain matched the wood grain from the <laughs> stream. And so they went and stole it. <sighs> so one of the things I, I, I think that is really interesting about this, too, is you mentioned Google Maps. And it used to be, like you said, it took a few years to update. Yeah. But I've noticed they've been updating much more frequently. Yes. It used to be like you'd see it was like four or five years behind, then like two. I've noticed that 
it's uh, for my particular property that I own, it's changed twice this year already. Oh, wow. They've updated it. So wow. they're really getting quick with some of that, which makes some of these things that you're talking about all the time. That much easier. Much easier to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's disturbing on what you put out there. So you think, oh well, I'll only I'll, I'll lock this down and nobody will find this thing. Yep. No, they will find that thing. They will find that thing. All it takes is annoying the right group, it and has they will find persistence. it. Yes, um, the the four chan team calls it or not team, but the group calls it weaponized autism, which is kind of offensive, <laughs> but at the same time. It's that extreme focus to the point where it's like nothing else in the world matters except this thing. Yeah. So here, here's a, this is actually my old house on Google Maps. Yeah. So there's me, my son. Oh, the you're dog. actually in the and we're blurred and we're blued out. Yeah, I saw the car drive by and we ran out. <laughs> but nice. now, now it's well. I should say it's not. I guess it's not easy to track me down. But you can sort of confirm if you knew what. If oh you yeah, knew yeah. What. But, but I mean, you couple that with like being able to automate that API and do face detection. If somebody already knows what you well, look like because we put a picture of you on the MSW show website. Yeah, to Google's credit, they did blur it out. Yeah, yeah. Google's really good about blurring faces and things like that yeah. but um it's still it raises a lot of issues because maybe i don't need to know uh don't need to know your face maybe i know you drive a 2009 honda civic yeah mm-hmm. blur out the license plate or not i still will recognize that car yeah so i still don't know what to tell my kids <laughs> <laughs> don't um, put a flag on the internet and- yeah don't put a flag on the internet <laughs> don't annoy 4chan uh no it, it's all about being very deliberate in what you share and um when you do do things like post pictures online and stuff um if if you can avoid identifying your kids avoid it if you can avoid um showing any background like establishing things like down your street or your car your house or anything like that just just avoid it um like backgrounds or uh, backyards are pretty safe because there's not there's unlikely to be google street views of that yeah Um, it's a lot harder to figure out is it impossible absolutely not yeah um, but yeah, we, uh, in our particular case, like our, uh, second son, we, we tell him like, you know, don't give, don't give street, don't give any of this information. Um, don't talk like who your parents are. Like it's, it's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to send you a bunch of MS devs to swag. What's your home address? <laughs> <laughs> 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. 20036. I was going to say, is it 90210? Is it <laughs> well, I, so I, I did this thing a, a few years ago, and apparently 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has more domain names registered to it than anywhere else. Oh, that's funny. But then at the same time, 90210 has more domains like registered in that zip code <laughs> than anywhere else. Yeah. Because it's the one zip code people know all yeah. over the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I don't know. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell my kids. And... And I feel like they really just should not anger anybody because I don't want anybody coming after that, them. That's a whole. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> anger, anger online sells for some reason. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, um, getting back to the the session. So, what, oh yeah, yeah, APIs. yeah. So, so what uh, what what do you talk about in the session then? I, so you were talking about you know like the the top ten or the top twelve list yeah. of why it sucks. Um, I'm not sure how far we got in that list. I <laughs> uh, gave a, a couple of them. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. monetization. So, and- monetization is, is the big one for me that I feel yeah. like uh, in the last two or three years, I've been like talking about this pretty publicly. Like yeah. people just haven't mm-hmm. been thinking about like there was a yeah. lot of money sloshing around in venture capital circles mm-hmm. and you could do dumb stuff. You know, you need to cut that out. I want an API. Here's money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which actually brings up a good point. I mean, should I, you know, like at what point should I even make an API? So let me, let me actually answer that with another thing. Sure. Uh, and, on Wednesday afternoon, I'm giving a second session of okay. um, uh, projects are not products. Uh, from the developer perspective, going from the point where we have a an interesting project, like the code works and everything, how do we turn that into a product that people actually pay for? Yeah. So that's kind of like the two talks mesh really well. Such together. a good point too, because like creating something and then like sort of finishing it, you're only like 10% of the way there to actually have a product. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's really easy to like slap some code together and like put a website up. It's uh, it's a lot harder to, (laughs) I was just handed yet another troublemaker label. (laughs) So I've got two in front of me, one on my badge and it's handwritten on my badge by myself. Is is there some kind of joke or something? No, I, I think We're it's just self-fulfilling prophecy. It's and, truth and in advertising. Do you know these people? <laughs> so far? Yes. Okay. So far? Yes. Okay. Um, I know we, uh, we, we launch these things. We launch these projects. We call them products and we want people to give us money for them. Right. But if you look at the things that we launch, 
you would never give you you money on it. Right. Like I hit a website and I'm like, wow, this sucks. Why would I ever give you money on this? Yeah. This this is this is awful. There's no support. There's no like, why would I use this? Yeah. What's the value to me? Yeah. Why would I give you money? Well, I think people are just trying to put stuff out there to see what what sticks. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. justifying it. I'm just saying like I think that's what's going on. But the the thing that drives me nuts is that in a lot of these cases like just a tiny bit mm-hmm. of effort. Like 30, 45 minutes worth of effort would actually like increase these things yeah. and, and make it more likely you get money. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, just frustrating. Get, I'm bored. I'm on the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so now if it's an API and you've now built something on that API, now you're dependent on it. Yeah. And this was a project because you were bored and you thought it was cool. Yeah, you just screwed me. Yeah. Like long term, you just screwed me. Yep. And potentially my organization, right? Yep. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, it solves my problem. I'm going to build on it. Yes. And it solved my problem until two months from now when somebody just shut off the Heroku instance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So where can people who are interested in finding more about Keith, where can they go to find? He's not um, going to tell you. You cannot find information hey. about me anywhere online. <laughs> I've successfully locked that down. Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm Casey Software, C-A-S-E-Y Software, uh, just about everywhere. Um, Twitter, LinkedIn, Skype, all those fun sorts of places. Awesome. Yeah. Nice having you on again. Yeah, yeah thank, you. On. thank you. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit Aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial, and if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. And remember, if you are a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.net, a powerful toolkit for working with Word documents in your applications. Right now, we're talking to Annie Bougie. She's a senior developer at Concurrency uh, a Consulting Company. Hey, everybody. Hey. So what, what, kind of things, what kinds of things have been top of mind for you? Because I know we were talking earlier and it was like database, database, database. So you're like the database person now? I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I do a lot of other things too, but that's kind of one of the things that interests me. And one of the reasons why it interests me so much is because it's one area that if you fail, your performance is going to be really bad. (laughs) So it's an important area to get right. Yeah. So how did you start to get into that? Because I I know when I was consulting, consulting for a while, I started... I started getting sucked into like database performance issues. So is that how it happened or, or has it been more proactive than that? I mean, have you gone in there to like write database interfaces and work with different databases or has it been more like help everything's broken and mm. por- performing poorly? Actually a little bit of both. Um, I've, you know, taken it upon myself to learn like all the different types of databases just because it's really cool. The things that are happening in the market these days. I mean, yeah. Things are changing so much, and now, um, you know, the so-called NoSQL movement, which I think is kind of a funny word, but, um, you know, there's so many more options. I mean, I've been doing this for like 25 years, and, you know, back in the day, the question was never, well, which database option should I choose? It was, which relational database should I choose? MySQL? Should I choose SQL? And now there's so many more options. And I think that's something developers need to think about more is how can they use some of these, you know, so-called newer options to solve problems that exist because no one option is perfect. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can combine them, then you can, you know, get the best performance and the best result. So what, what kind of things should be we really be thinking of or having top of mind when we're looking at all these different storage options? One of the places to start is how are you going to, um, you know, reading and writing your mm-hmm. data? You know, how are you going to get your data back and how are you going to be writing to your mm-hmm. data and what is the frequency? So um, if you're going to be needing to store like 
a whole bunch of records all at once, you know, that can overload like SQL Server and, you know, lead to, you know, mm-hmm. errors and stuff like that. So, you know, that might not be the best yeah, thing. For I, I have a little project where I'm using SQL Server right now, and I'm definitely running into that. Definitely just shoving way more in there than it can handle. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely affecting performance. So yeah. I can definitely see where, the, where yeah. that's an issue. And then obviously, like, the look of the data and the shape of the data, too. Like, structured versus unstructured and... You know, right. I, I see people, you know, like I know like SQL Server has this option where you can take like JSON data and you mm-hmm. can kind of shove unstructured data into a structured database. Um, I guess you can't really do the opposite, right? I mean, you can, well, I guess you can take structured data and shove it into an unstructured <laughs> database, but like, I don't know. Like, you know, it would probably still be structured <laughs> yeah. at the end. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the whole world, it, it's just like all of development, right? It used to be so simple. It's like, I'm going to use one of the three languages available to me and I'm going to use one of the, you know, three databases available mm-hmm. to me. Um, so I don't even like know where to start now. So you, you mentioned like choosing kind of the right database for the for the job. Yeah, like, you know, each of the yeah. different types of databases. I'm just gonna you know categorize yeah. them. You have That'd the relational great. databases. Then you have your document database store. Um, you have your table storage, which is basically like a glorified dictionary in the cloud. Um, you have your graph databases, and then um, the column family types of databases. So they all have their strengths and weaknesses. So if you need like really good transactional support and you do a lot of ad hoc reporting all the time, you know, SQL database is great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need to scale out globally and um, you have a lot of, you know, hierarchical records, then probably a document database store is going to be good for that. And if I choose the wrong one, like how bad is that? If I just totally screw that up? Um, you can choose the right one and still have a really bad result <laughs> okay. if you don't, you know, set it up correctly. If you choose the wrong one, I don't know if there's really, it's one of those things, is there really a real right or wrong? You know, then you'd probably have to do some refactoring. Yeah. Like if it really was a bad fit, then you'd probably have to do some refactoring or maybe even change your data store. Yeah, because I'm just thinking like, I always get paralyzed before I write something because I... You know, I'm just like, oh, well, I, I need to pick my database, right? And I'm just like, should I pick Cosmos? Should I pick SQL Server? And then like three weeks has gone by and I'm like, ah, I didn't really want to work on that project anyway. <laughs> you know, I, like that, that's like the unfortunate reality. So, so like, should I, you know, may, uh, next time I'll just come to you. But, <laughs> well, but you know, why should pick I just one? pick one? Or? Why just pick one? Yeah. You know, I mean, the whole polyglot database movement, I guess, if it's a yeah. movement, is to choose which parts of your system should use which database. So, I mean, t- we typically think of our, our projects in layers. You know, you have your database layer, you have your business logic layer, and then your presentation layer. But you also need to think about um, intersecting that vertically. So taking one whole part of it and putting it in one data store. For example, you know, utilizing Redis Cache. Yeah. Um, somewhere, some areas where Redis Cache can fit in is for adding like an index onto like Azure Table Store. Okay. So you can have a really fast lookup and then still be able to retrieve that record on the document key, which is what Table Storage is really good at. And like searching on your non-key fields is really bad at. So you can do that. Um, if you need like on comments, like maybe the first hundred comments are in Redis Cache. So you get those loaded up really quickly. And then, you know, when the person has read through all that and they want more, you know, the spinny thing, they've already read like that many comments. So waiting a couple more seconds isn't a big deal. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. So, I was always yeah. thinking of different types of data being in different types of databases. But you're saying, too, you could even, depending on the access patterns choose, you know, different databases for that. That's that's kind of interesting. Right. And um, somebody I was talking to recently, they had a logging application and they needed to retrieve their logs like five different ways. Mm -hmm. So they stored it in five different Azure table storages because Azure table storage is really cheap. But like I said, you know, looking up on anything other than the key is slow. So they made things with five different keys, you know. Okay. So that solved that problem. So even, you know, combining it with itself. (laughs) So, I mean, as a developer... you know, I like to fit, think that I fit the mold that I'm a lazy developer. And, you know, you know, to me, choosing one way to store things, quote, is easier. So how, how much harder is it to implement these in the different ways, either the different technologies or, like you said, five different Agile Table uh, instances? You know, yeah, you know, as a lazy developer, you know, we want to keep it simple, um, you know, how, how do we manage this complexity that this adds? Mm-hmm. Well, 
as a lazy developer, you know, you still have <laughs> problems that you want to solve, and it does add to the complexity. So I think you need a compelling reason. Um, one of the things that I'm working on now is um, part of the record is going to be stored in Azure SQL mm -hmm. because they need that strong transactional support, and that's going to be the document of record, and they can combine, you know, do your ad hoc querying and mm -hmm. still get the, the um, IDs of all those records that would match a query, and then the unstructured part is going to be stored in document DB. Mm -hmm. And they never know how many fields they're going to get, you know, how that data is going to be structured. So it's still, you know, that, that works out really well. And then you can combine those together. So that adds complexity, which, you know, makes it more difficult. But it simplifies that part of it. So as a lazy developer, that should appeal because you can just take all that unstructured data and dump it out into the document. You have a little more complexity with your repository, but you don't have to figure out how to organize your SQL tables so that you can represent that hierarchy when you don't even know what it's right. going to be up front. That's always awkward. So, yeah. Yeah, so like on some recent projects that you've done, like what what were the different database technology you paired together? So obviously SQL and Cosmos DB. Um, I don't know if you have any other kind of iterations or um, you mentioned Redis as well. So was Redis in that same solution or what were some of the combinations? Um, yeah. Yeah, let's see. Uh, SQL Server with Document DB. Mm -hmm. um, I worked on a proof of concept with the Gremlin app to store like relationships between oh, okay. entities because they're you know changing a lot and they're deeply nested. So if you want to find out it wasn't people but like you know friends of friends of friends, you know you can get that. Yeah. So you okay. know much more easily with Gremlin. Yeah. So you can add that to whatever else we're doing. In this case, it was SQL Server. So having the relationships then stored in Gremlin okay. you know, worked out really well. And then, and then of course, Azure, Azure Table Storage is like, you know, yeah, just... Yeah, I could kind of add that on. Mm -hmm. Just like, because that would be similar to Redis, I would think, in, in mm -hmm. regards. So um, I would kind of, I'm thinking I would probably start with, um, well, you, you mentioned the repository layer, and um, I'm kind of wondering how your, your code is structured. So were you saying that the the repository layer behind that, it's managing the databases. So like when I'm writing my logic in my code, uh, would you normally say that I'm not thinking about which place I'm reading and writing the data to, or yes. does it know? Okay. If you're if you're doing it right. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> I need to I need to load up this customer and then I need to load the sales sales order. Like from that code, um, you know, those look like similar calls to you, but right. behind the scenes, one could be going from SQL and one is from Cosmos, for example. Right. Behind, okay. the, behind the scenes. So you have, you know, a layer that behind the scenes will get the SQL part of that, get the DocDB part, and then combine them into one object and then deliver that to the front end. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. That's pretty so cool. It does make it a little more complicated, but it solves, it solves a really hard problem in SQL. Yeah. Well, I like that. I mean, just the, like having, again, just having that unstructured data in there where, you know, like exten uh, extensible column support or, or this um, extensibility story, like that was, you know, to this day is like this really difficult thing, right? Where uh, it's like, I have 10 fields and I want to allow the customer to add them. But if you put them in the database, then, you know, good luck because now you've given them access to that and it's just terrible. But if I can just like throw that into Cosmos DB and have it keyed off of this over here, mm -hmm. um, that sounds awesome to me. It sounds like it, sounds like it solves a big problem. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about especially like developers who may have had more like, uh, you know, SQL Server experience, when they're learning these other new technologies uh, for storage, are they... Uh, going to have to learn new patterns and practices in their code to kind of access them? Or can they kind of reuse maybe some of that like repository pattern style of development that they may have used for a transactional database? Oh, you could definitely set up, like I have a repository like mm -hmm. for DocDB and, you know, link queries work with DocDB, you know, so you can use a lot of the things that are familiar. Um, once you start getting into like Gremlin, then that gets a little bit different. So you have to, you know, work a little harder to make that fit the pattern mm -hmm. than in in your API. Okay, so we shouldn't be too scared. No. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else is top of mind that you wanted to mention? That's that's about, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online if they wanted to uh, contact you? Um, the best way is through Twitter at uh, Bougie Fever. 
<laughs> and we'll have a link to that in the show I love notes. that. I love that. That's very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was good thank talking. Thank you for having me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. We're talking to Walt Richer, a senior staff instructor at LinkedIn Learning and a Windows development MVP for Microsoft. Hey, how are you? Good, good. So I'm trying to figure out if if uh, we work for the same company or not. Do you work for Microsoft? <laughs> yep, I work at Microsoft. So well, I, I worked at LinkedIn in the part called LinkedIn Learning, okay. and uh, that is the former formerly used to be Lynda.com. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Lynda got yep. bought by LinkedIn. So Microsoft did buy LinkedIn, but mostly we're uh, independent company still, and we have the same LinkedIn structure we had before. Yeah, uh, we have their own HR department and everything else, so it's it's okay. it's really a separate company. Okay, very cool. <laughs> so you're going to be giving a talk here later this week on data visualization. I am. So what what kind of things are you going to be covering on that? Because sure. when I hear that word, that to me that's just like a lot of things pop in my head. What what pops into your head when you hear that? Well, I I think of stuff like. Uh, you know, charts and graphs. I also think of stuff like infographics. I, Those are all great words, and I'm going to be talking about that. So my my idea of this talk is, is that we have all this data sitting in our data warehouses and everywhere else. Every developer works with some sort of data. Uh, and I've been a front-end developer forever. Mm-hmm. And so part of our job as a front-end developer is to figure out how to take that data and make it interactive, to build the UI, but also sometimes it's just showing that data, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so this talk focuses on the showing of the data. And in this talk, it's morphed. I've given this talk a lot at many different uh, conferences, and it's morphed over time. But mostly I talk now about how the human brain and our optical system processes information. So I think that's fascinating. And so I start to talk by looking at how we perceive colors, how how quickly a, your brain can uh, find a nugget of information mm-hmm. inside a dense uh, array of information. Mm-hmm. And so then once I've talked about that, then it helps the developers see Okay, if I've given three or four choices of doing a chart, which is a simple mm-hmm. type of data visualization, yep. which is the most effective use of that? So that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to pull out of it in the talk is what's if our eyes see contrasts in shapes or colors, then how can we leverage that when you're showing the data? Okay, so this is a little bit of a tangent, but I, th- I think it kind of applies. So, you know, on my phone, I have tons of different apps. I have an app that tracks my exercise. I have an Apple Watch, which is putting things into uh, Apple Health. Um, I have apps that track my movement. Um, and recently, uh, I found out, there. Uh, Scott Hanselman tweeted out this uh, app for iOS and Android called Gyroscope. And literally, all that that does is it by itself doesn't do anything, but it taps into all those different other applications, the info that they have, and it visualizes it and brings it all together. So before, while I had my, you know, how often I was going to the gym and what I was doing, I had my health, and my heart rate. Separate, it was in a separate and app, right? And they're all in like four separate apps. Right. And yes, each raw, app kind of did, data. Uh, the raw data was there, but it wasn't useful to me. And it brings it together in this really nice way this this visual way and just cross references it on each other so i can really appreciate the work that's being done in the in this area right so i, I heard that podcast too and i thought it was interesting because it sounds to me and i may be wrong they haven't looked at gyroscope yeah. yet have you used it yet i've been using it for about two three weeks now okay so d- is it basically like a uh, aggregator then of all the data mm-hmm. and then yet you can does it does, it does correlation between different exactly. pieces of data too yeah so, so you can see like that you were at the gym and your heart rate went up. So it can understand that um, and give you insight that like when when you go to this place, that you're more likely to do exercise there, and it, it starts understanding that. And I haven't used it for long enough, but uh, 
listening to that podcast that Hanselman did, that down the down the way they're going to be able to use that data to to proactively tell you things. Mm-hmm. Um, because they can say, we know you're at this location. We know you're about to do exercise. Maybe there's some some something useful yeah. I can tell. It's kind of amazing. Like the, you can go in there and in like you said, the Apple Health app, and it'll say, hey, three years or three three uh, hours ago. <laughs> three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. <laughs> well, I think I have data going back to that. <laughs> uh, but you know, three hours ago, your heart rate was 59 beats per minute from you know nine to nine fifteen, and it's just like. Okay, what am I supposed to do with that? So yeah, that's awesome. I think, now I think yeah, I think you're tapping into a great point, which is like that data by itself really isn't useful. It has to be visualized, right? And there's probably a million different ways to do it, right. all different purposes. One of the things I say in my talk right at the beginning is that you know we have all this data, but if you don't do anything with it, sure there are legal reasons why we not, might need to gather data mm-hmm. for different um, law different laws out there, but I call it inert data because it's it's just there occupying spaces on your hard drives and what are we going to do with that? Mm-hmm. So my point is sometimes what you need to do with that is bring it out. Now we got all these analytic tools and business, uh, we got BI and things like that that can, that can aggregate that. My point in the talk is in, well, now that you do this, is there some way you can show that to your user? And, and that's not always the right thing. Sometimes it's nothing more than just putting it in and <laughs> Lots of distractions here. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you mentioned like some of these BI tools. So there's like obviously like Power BI and, and things like that. So um, you know if I want to if I want to do data visualization, like I, do you talk much about like what tools you should I do actually not. use? In fact, I say that at the beginning of the okay. talk. This is not a so tools or a, not, a programming talk. Uh, this is about how the human optical system in the brain. Uh, uh, processes information, mm-hmm. okay. and it, I have 60 minutes, mm-hmm. and even then I can't really get everything in. <laughs> that's I really that's say. really amazing. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to say. Like I I could do 15, 20 minutes just on how the brain perceives color. Yeah. Um, instead, what I do is I have like a three minute segment, mm-hmm. and I uh, what I try to pull out is accessibility. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you can take away from this talk that makes your data more accessible mm-hmm. as far as colors go? Because um, of Basically, I'd bring up the colorblindness issue. Yeah, I'm colorblind. Mm-hmm. Well, then you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, how, so tell me, then, when you're, are there times when you're looking at, uh, say, a visualization of data and you just can't, you don't understand? Yeah, the it? colors. Some of the colors will look the same. You know, they use color to differentiate. Um, so actually, if you look at the, I worked at GE years ago, um, and if you looked at their manufacturing software. Uh, you can actually do different patterns like dotted and dashed lines, and that was all because of me. <laughs> so I would actually be the guy that they would they would uh, they would come to me and say like, here's the visualization we we plan on doing. Um, you know, can you tell like can you tell this data apart? And if I couldn't, then they'd figure out how to make it so that they could, which was uh, which was pretty cool. So that was good though, is that they had an advocate mm-hmm. that they could bring the information to, and a lot yeah. of developers don't think through that process, mm-hmm. you know. And it's because I'm not colorblind, I don't need. Mm-hmm. Whenever we're not, we don't have the accessibility issue. Mm-hmm. We, I don't think we think about it unless somebody prods us. Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, you know, there's a little bit of a tangent, but like, um, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like I'm like advertising for Microsoft, but there is like this huge push within Microsoft. There's all these disabilities that uh, that people don't see. You know, you normally think like disability and it's like, oh, a person in a wheelchair or something, right? Or they're blind or, um, you know, hearing impaired or whatever. But there's actually this big push in the company to understand like, it's really a spectrum. There's so many different things. Colorblindness just being one of them, uh, but there's so many different types of impairments. Um, it could be motion. It could be whatever, right? Like there's there's thousands of things that we could probably list off there, and uh, and and having like those types of employees first of all, so that you can actually build products that that reach that that wider audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was kind of an early thing that I ran into was uh, was was that there. And then I'm sure there's different types of vision impairment where you have to you have to make things bigger or, you know, you just have to figure out a different way to visualize it because they're perceiving it different. And maybe even like dyslexia, you know, I don't know if that changes like how people see charts. And uh, I went to a session, uh, I think it was at an MVP summit a few years ago uh, and they did an accessibility thing. And the the one thing that stood out for me that I, that really helped me was the, the fact that a lot of us go through a temporary phase in our life where we're disabled 
uh, like if you break your arm and suddenly yeah. you only got one hand and now you can't open that door. But right. when you when you fix problems for people that have the permanent issues, you're also solving problems for people that have the temporal issues. Which is what that was what resonated with yeah, me in that point. talk, right? Is it? Mm-hmm. It's like so you're not just yeah. you're solving for one group of people, but it also benefits society as a whole. And then and then you take that even further. So you have the person with the permanent, maybe they're missing an arm. Somebody with a broken arm, well, maybe somebody's just holding a bag of groceries, and then they only have one arm available for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, not not to like get even more on a tangent but i don't know if you saw the creators update of or the sorry the fall creators update of windows 10 now has the eye tracking support i saw a demo of that that was amazing i haven't seen that yet yeah. so tell me about that yeah so the guy i mean he was he was typing a sentence like at a at a pretty good clip and he he actually as far as i know didn't have a disability he was actually just demoing the feature and just by looking at the on-screen keyboard and it actually had basically the swipe type functionality he was looking at the keys and then doing the auto completion looking at that and he was actually able to type it like, I mean, it looked like, you know, 20 words per minute, 30. I don't know how fast it mm-hmm. was. Uh, I was shocked at how fast it was. And somebody who does that all the time would get really proficient at that. So, I'm curious, is that is there an API for that then? Uh, I, I would think so. I actually don't have a lot of knowledge of it, but I would, I would think so. That's yeah, I, I know right now that it requires special hardware. It only works with one specific eye tracker, but they're looking to make it so any kind of generic eye tracker will work with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that'll that'll be pretty cool. So getting getting kind of back on track, <laughs> I'll just bring us this back. This is on the typical to, of most conferences, the way conversations <laughs> go. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just there's so much cool stuff to talk about. Right. So one thing that I always find interesting in data visualization um, is uh, is deception. So trying to trick somebody with data. So one of the ones that I've seen before is, um, you know, where like the the scale isn't from zero, you know, and it's just like um, I'm not going to call out anything specific, but you know, like uh, like take like unemployment numbers or something, right? Where it they they show like this, you know, the bars are going, and then all of a sudden there's like a big change. And it's just like, whoa, look at this massive change. And then here, whenever you put it at zero, like all the bars are really equal. Right. So basically you're clipping the scale yeah. and it distorts the numbers. You can either clip the vertical or horizontal scale either yeah. way. And I have a small section in my talk that deals with that. And I don't go into too much specifics, but my take on it is, uh, sure, there are some people that will deliberately skew the statistics. My point is that we're trying to show the data and if you don't understand how the brain works you might inadvertently skew the data mm-hmm. without realizing it yeah right um, like hiding information in there because of colors right or the sizes of lines or um, uh, anyway I've got yeah. some section on that in the talk but I mean even those two topics are related I mean you can inadvertently skew because yeah. you have like a 3d pie chart and just how it's rotated That's, will make one section you see my talk yeah. you seen my talk no I, I have not seen <laughs> it I do a 3d uh, I do a 3d chart and I say well, this is one of the reasons why this doesn't work I do a 3d pie chart mm-hmm. and if you tilt it towards the it, it tilts towards the user and whatever pie segments in front is always going to appear larger than it really yeah. is mm-hmm. you know and so the rule there is never use a 3D pie chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that actually brings up a good point then. Like, so our listeners, um, you know, it's this is going to get published I think after the conference, so they can't they can't go see your session. Um, so like, w- what can they do? I mean, like, are there are there any like sort of basic rules that you can follow? So I mean, you mentioned don't show it in 3D. I mean, should they try to make the data as bland as possible? I mean, that seems like a bad idea it, itself. Like, So are there any kind of like simple rules that they could potentially follow that will help? There's, um, um, well, one of the rules I have is uh, to segment, the, to uh, differentiate the data about what I call the, the 5Ds. And of course, I don't have my slides in front of me, so mm-hmm. I don't remember what they, yeah. the, what they are at the moment. But the, well, basically, it's color. So like if you're trying to differentiate, there's color, size, shape, and two more, which are escaping me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's okay. that's a takeaway. So you kind of start with like the the high level key components there, and and, and if you understand those five key components, um, then right. you're going to be on the right track. Yes. Okay. And then, um, I, I, as you mentioned at the beginning, I work for LinkedIn. I work actually work for LinkedIn Learning, which is the training part of the company, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a lot of data visualization courses there. That I I didn't have anything to do with those courses, mm-hmm. but the few that I've watched have been uh, okay. really good at bringing out this information. Okay, I I, n- I never really thought about that before. I mean, I, I suspect 
many people who are doing data visualization, I would I would think that the vast majority of them are sort of untrained, right? Like they they're just they well, you know, give me this line that it, chart that does this thing. Well, the fact it. that a chart is in fact a data visualization tells you that's true. How many business people do you know that use Excel that throw together a simple chart? Yeah. Um, of course, I'm speaking to an audience of developers and other t uh, people in the software industry, so I'm focusing more on the, the, the development side of it, even though I don't show code. Uh, but you're right, it's a simple chart, and again, you can make mistakes by putting too many bars in a, in a bar chart. Well, I've seen that before working for a company where they're like, we want this kind of chart and we want it to look like this, and it's not what they need, it doesn't help them, but that's what they've always had. So, you know, we need to recreate what we've always had because we've always done it that way. And we need to challenge that a little bit sometimes. You do. And there, the nice thing is, I don't know if the nice thing is the right way of saying it, but the, <laughs> there's a lot of new research happening in the last 20 years that builds on top of what we used to use in, in the chart world. In fact, there's all these new different kinds of charts out there, like something called the waffle chart, which when you show it, it's like, oh, well, of course, that's a simple concept. Uh, basically, it's a pie chart that uses squares to represent mm -hmm. the percentage. So you typically have 100 mm -hmm. squares or rectangles. And so if you want to show 60%, 40%, 60 of the squares would be one color and 40% 40 of the squares would be yeah. another. So, But it doesn't suffer from the problems of uh, pie charts because they're round. And so it's a simple, oh, that's easy. And it's easy to do with the kind of uh, tech, you know, CSS and HTML or JavaScript or <coughs> in our world, the WPF. It's really easy to do that kind of uh, UI. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Okay, so I, get, I guess the, the message of people is like, you know, if you're, if you're doing any kind of charting, like just spend even just a few hours like educating yourself because it, like, it sounds like there's a, a lot you can learn in a short period of time. Yeah, and there's a there's a nice website out there. Um, and of course, I don't have the URL here, mm -hmm. but I can get it to you. Do sure. you do show notes? Yep. Yeah, so I'll Got get them right it to here. you. Okay, so uh, there's a there's a three uh, there's a JavaScript library, uh, and there's a ton of samples. This one guy's done a ton of samples on the internet, and I'll get that link to you. Sure. And so there's all the basic things. There's like about 120 different kinds of charts there. Mm -hmm. And so you can, what I like to say is go there and see the different kinds of charts that people are making now. So one of these charts may pop into your brain and go, that's really the, the yeah. representation of the data that we're looking for. And I would have never thought of that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay, uh, so where can people find you online? I am at, uh, at uh, LinkedIn. Let's see, it's, um, <laughs> it's LinkedIn dot com slash learning slash Walt Richer. That gets you to my pages on LinkedIn. Same thing at lynda.com. It's lynda.com slash Walt Richer. And then also you can find me at my XAML, what, uh, XAML Wonderland com website. That's where my blog is. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about data visualization. Thank you. Right now we are talking to uh, Scott Addy. He's a senior content developer for ASP.NET Core. And Cecil Phillip, who is a cloud developer advocate for Microsoft. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So uh, you guys wanted to talk to us about docs.microsoft.com, especially for Node and what else? For .NET. And for .NET. So, you know, introduce us to that. You know, what, what, what's interesting about the docs for uh, .NET and ASP Core? Yeah, so we're we're trying to make you know a, sort of a one-stop shop for .NET developers. Uh, so you're not finding yourself sifting through loads and loads of documentation. This is sort of the landing page that you would begin with to discover the content you're looking for. Right. Uh, so we have this now for both .NET devs and Node.js devs, and I suspect that list will continue to grow. Okay. Yeah, we we had a show on on docs that was more of like the the technical architecture, but I I don't think Carl we talked too much about the content, did we? No, we, we, we didn't talk about it because, you know, like if we go to docs.microsoft.com right now, I mean, you, you essentially just pick your technology and it's a little bit different for each technology, isn't it? It is. So what's cool about your areas that you're talking about today? Well, so my area is cool just because it's ASP.net Core, <laughs> let's be honest. But, um, you know, so on my team, if we look at that, there's about three of us right now producing those docs. And right now there's a lot of buzz around this ASP.NET Core thing. So you're saying you, we, we have this huge ASP.NET Core and there's three people writing the documentation. That's for correct. Them. Yep. So, so No pressure. No pressure. Um, I don't <laughs> lose sleep at night. Uh, that's a lie. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's a big responsibility. And, and when you look at the ASP.NET docs, they're actually merged with ASP.NET proper documentation. Okay. So we do both ASP.NET proper and the new shiny ASP.NET core. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, big responsibility. And I, I'm assuming that's like anything on docs. So like if I see something that could be improved or I think I have like a better example for, I can click a button on the page and submit it that it'll eventually uh, potentially become part of the docs as well. Yeah, so that's the beauty of it. We actually just surpassed uh, 500 contributors on the ASP.NET uh, documentation and, that, repo. and that's outside contributors? Uh, that is mostly outside contributors. Nice. Uh, which is pretty impressive. I've been pleased with the uh, collaboration we've been able to establish with the community. Um, it's a very easy process. You don't really even need to know Git or GitHub for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, it's as simple as uh, you know navigating to the doc that you're interested in, uh, clicking the edit pencil and just yeah, making the, the minor correction I that keep, you want. I, I keep telling people that on the podcast, I mention all the time. I'm like, you, you don't have to worry about what a pull request is or anything. Just push yeah. the pencil button and start, you know, change it and then push yeah. the submit button. You know what's really cool about it is that when you think about, hey, I want to learn a product, mm -hmm. the first place that you go, go to is the docs, right? And so if you go to the docs and there's not something that you you want to find or it's not something that, you know, some information that's missing, mm -hmm. like you can just submit a pull request or you can edit it, create the doc yourself. You know what I mean? We can have that conversation yeah, fix online it. on GitHub right now. Yeah, you know? exactly. I, that, I So I'm, I'm telling people to do that all the time. Uh, fix the documentation. That's the easy way to kind of get started too. Yeah. Because yeah, that's like the, the, in my mind, like the first first step in becoming a contributor to a project is starting to edit the docs and then getting comfortable with that process. And then, then maybe you can actually start to make code edits as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and you know, I think a lot of people out there in the community think it's just the docs. If I make a small correction, who really cares? Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised that does make a big impact. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about things like localization of the docs, you know, translating that into several other languages, Something like a misspelled word or a missing period or comma somewhere, that goes a very long way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, contributing extensively to the docs can actually lead to incentives, too, like the MVP award program. Right. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. You could be like Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm wondering, like, um, what type of audience then is it geared toward? Because obviously there's, there's people that are just getting started with, it, with you know, .NET Core there are people that you know would consider themselves expert, and then there's everything in between. So, like, how do you how do you deal with that? We we definitely have to recognize that the audience is varied. Yeah. Um, you need content for that beginner, yeah. where you really lower that bar and you, you give them an end to end tutorial. Yeah, here's what you need to install. Yeah. Here's how you do. Because those are the people that would get the frustra frustrated, I think, the most. Because it's like, I just want to get started with the stupid technology. Just tell me what to do. You know, I'm always searching for like, you know, the technology I want to use in like tutorial. And like, I want to find somebody who has that page. It's just like, listen, just do this, run this command, and then you will be up and running. Like a lot of times, I'm looking for that when I'm starting with the technology. Right. Yep. Um, so you, like, you have to have that. And then when I come back as the expert, then I'm looking for like, okay, I want to know exactly how this function works, how to call it, what it, how how it works. So, um, so how did you handle that? So do you have like a a page that says like you know, if you don't know how to use this at all, start here, and then experts kind of go over here? Or how how did you structure that? Yeah, so we have a table of contents that you would see over on the left hand side of the web page. Um, it, there's an introduction node where you can begin if you're an absolute beginner. Uh, beneath that, you'll see a tutorials node where you, you would find these end-to-end walkthroughs. Uh, but, you know, to your question, we've also got to cater to that more advanced audience. If we're dealing with a power user, uh, they're not going to read through one of those beginner-level tutorials. For them, we really need to produce these uh, reference documents. Uh, Things like API references that are you know generated from the code base, or uh, you know just again reference material, not end-to-end -end tutorials. Yeah. So, how are you guys also addressing like the discoverability of docs.microsoft.com? I mean, I'm old enough. I remember like you install Visual Studio from a disk, and like, do you want to install the documentation? Then you grab the other disk and you put sure. that in there as well. And then, you know, after that, as things move to the internet, it's, you know, msdn.microsoft.com. You all installed the documentation? the documentation? Like, back in the day, I did. Um, it was a CHM file. Yeah, it was, all, it, it was great. Um, you hit F1, you you hit F1 you and it opens. And oh, it's, it, I remember the F1 of horror, though, because he'd hit it and be like, oh, yeah. opening documentation. No. <laughs> but still, I mean, that, that was a, a discoverability feature. And now we're moving 
a lot of people's mind share off of MSDN. So how are you guys working, one, on, on discoverability of the new docs, and two, migrating the people that are used to doing it, like going to MSDN and going to docs now? I think that's uh, where, you know, events like this are huge for us in mm -hmm. promoting the Docs platform. I'm talking to you guys right now about it. That's a form of discoverability. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Cecil's team will also be a big part in driving this and really raising awareness of the new Docs platform. Uh, you know, we're taking pieces off of msdn.microsoft.com and placing them in the new Docs platform. Mm -hmm. uh, but but let's be realistic for a second. Like, I'm, I'm thinking that, I, you know, whenever I want to find something, I do a search for it, right? Yep. <laughs> so it's it, it feels to me like like your your biggest thing actually would be you want to show up in the searches, right? I mean, so so I guess I'll turn that into a question instead of making all these assumptions. So my question is like, how many people just go to docs.microsoft.com versus like getting there through a search? I'm guessing most people get there through a search. But we do have telemetry that tells yeah. us this sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know the exact. Uh, mix there in terms yeah. of percentages but that is something we take a serious look at yeah because i'm just thinking of like stack overflow like i i actually n i never go directly to stack overflow like i don't feel i'm like hey it feels like a stack overflow day i'm gonna go hang out there for a while um that doesn't happen but like it's in every search that i do like yep. it's almost always like the first result i'm like oh okay i i know that site i understand it so i click on it and it seems like, to, uh, you know, what I'd like to see is like Stack Overflow and docs.microsoft.com. Like those should be my top two results for sure. Right. And um, hopefully we want to get there, right? Yeah. You know, hopefully if you search for C Sharp or you search for Azure, or you yeah. search for DocumentDB or something like that, like our goal is to be, you know, we want to be the top of those searches. Yeah. You know, and I mean, in addition to just having text too, one of the things that you're going to see us push going forward is, you know, we want to have some more video type content. So not only will it be text, it'll be video. So there are different types of learning experiences for, for different types of folks. Yep. So maybe you might want to read the, the reference documentation. Maybe you want to just watch a really quick quick start video, right? So mm -hmm. depending on who you are or the level that you're at, like you have a couple different options that you can choose from. Yeah, no, that's a great point because I, I like to have the video like playing in the background while I'm doing my other research because I... I sort of absorb it, you know, in, in the background there. Well, so. what's good with that is that you could have, like you said, you can have two monitors up, right? And you can be doing, you know, following along in your second monitor while somebody's showing you how to walk through, you know, for instance, John Papa just did one on Cosmos DB and Node.js, right? right? So you could be following along with him while you're kind of like, you know, watching the video on the other screen. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, uh, one of the things that you, you just made me think of, uh, you know, there's the recent news that... Uh, Stack Overflow, they had their document site, and it, they're they're going to be shutting it down. And and what are you guys doing uh, to make sure that you guys stay relevant in a way that people are actually using your documentation? Uh, you know, we're definitely looking at that announcement mm -hmm. very carefully, doing sort of a post-mortem. <laughs> sure. yeah. no, what good. are some lessons learned from that uh, so that yeah. we don't make the same mistakes ourselves? Um, yeah. I mean, that might be something a little bit hard for you guys because you don't, you might not have all that telemetry to you know, like kind of back that up off off the top yeah. of your head, but well, I mean that's a very timely uh, announcement to this yeah. discussion. But Stack Overflow, like they needed a reason to exist, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the the document portion, they're just like, hey, maybe we can get a whole bunch of traffic out of this and make some mm -hmm. money. Um, I, I docs.microsoft.com, right? Like it's not trying to make money, right? It's trying to support the things that bring in developers. So I mean, it, it, from that perspective, it's got to be a little bit different goal, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. If our docs are poor. Um, we're not going to see the adoption of our products. So, exactly. I mean, yep. that's really the face, the entry into the Microsoft developer ecosystem. Okay. I did want to ask you something about the Node.js documentation. Like, if, if somebody's listening and, they're, and they haven't done anything with Node.js, like, is our documentation actually a good place to start, do you think? Or, or, or should they get uh, some experience with Node and then come over to our documentation? I, I think if you're using Microsoft tooling, our docs would be a great place to start. That's awesome. Um, you know, we try to try to be inclusive of all developers mm -hmm. and not necessarily favor. You know, oh, you must use everything Microsoft to work right. with us. Uh, I think our Node.js Dev Center could be a, a great starting point. Mm -hmm. yeah, if you dive directly into the Node.js docs, that could be a little intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think using like VS Code with Node.js is an awesome experience. So um, that's pretty cool that, that that's, that's a good place it can start. So what else are you guys working on? Uh, so right now I'm really focused on the um, docs for the upcoming ASP.NET Core 2.0 yep. release. I've uh, been heads down on that so for exciting. quite a while. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm really excited about that release. Mm -hmm. um, that's been my focus. Uh, 
So I'm I'm pretty new. I've been at Microsoft maybe two weeks now. Oh, <laughs> so, welcome, welcome. So thank you. Um, so my team has really been focused on the Azure Dev Centers. Okay. So the Azure .NET SDK um, for .NET and the SDK okay. for Node.js, specifically the documentation for those. So we just okay. launched um, the two Dev Centers last week. So definitely recommend everybody go and check it out. Um, you know, we have a few quick start videos that are up there, videos that we were speaking about a little yeah. while ago. Um, so you could see how easy it is for you to get started in Azure using the SDKs and using some of the tooling that we built. Okay, so are those videos then on docs.microsoft.com or are they somewhere else? If you go to docs.microsoft.com, you go to Azure and you select .NET SDK or even the Node.js SDK, mm -hmm. front and center right there on the page, you'll see a video and you could watch like first experience right there. Okay, perfect. That's great. Because I don't want to have to like, there's like MVA, the Microsoft Virtual Academy, and there's like Channel 9. It's great when it's all integrated like that. Mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah. That's yeah, great yeah. to hear. Uh, so, I think you'll you'll probably start to see a tighter integration there. Channel 9 is actually part of the same division that we yeah. work in now. Okay. So, so if people want to uh, find out more about you guys individually, where can people find you online? Uh, best place to reach me is Twitter. And my handle is at Scott's underscore Addy. So my first and last name with an underscore in the middle. Okay. And same with me too. So I'm Cecil Phillip um, on Twitter also. Okay, perfect. And, and, then, and, uh, and one more thing I'd like to add. Cecil, you have a, you have a podcast yourself. You want to get a plug-in for that? Oh, yeah. I do, I do. Thank you. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a podcast. It's called Away From The Keyboard. I co-host it with okay. my buddy Richie Rump. Um, it's a show where we talk about everything that happens away from the keyboard, right? So we talk about different folks about, you know, Woodworking and playing video games. Oh, and, that's cool. You know, a lot of our a lot of our guests um, do online courses or they write books and things like that. So, you know, I think it's really interesting to hear the story about the people that you know build the products we use every day. Because again, at the end of the day, like software is about people, right? So mm -hmm. it kind of just makes sense that we try to understand the people that write our software. Okay, so everybody hit stop, go subscribe to that. <laughs> much much better than this podcast. Hey, well, we can listen to more than one podcast at the same time. Oh, okay, right? so you can, we can listen to everything on iTunes. Right? <laughs> that sounds great. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, and talking to us about the the doc. So obviously, people can go to docs.microsoft.com and check it out for themselves. So thank great. you so much. Thank, thank you, you for having us on. Appreciate it, man. Yep, thanks. Thank you.